On today's Bible study podcast, we want to talk about who Jesus is to Martha as we continue the story of Lazarus and his family. Stay tuned as we'll see a pretty cool picture starting now. Welcome to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm glad to be with you for another installment in our study on the Gospel of John. There must be a good amount of work going on through these podcasts because we have truly faced many odds and trials and temptations the last few weeks in getting this study of John going this summer. Many of you remember that a few weeks ago I was not able to put on the podcast after a blow to the head at a softball game. And, well, this past week I was not able to access the internet again as a strong storm ended up burning out our modem. However, we are back online this week and should be good to go. So, I'm awfully excited to be with you as we continue through John chapter 11. And I would like to continue to remind you to be in prayer for the church in China as the Olympic Games draw near. Persecution has picked up big time as the government seeks to present the image it would like the world to see of itself, and that's usually an image without Christians. So be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ as they do the work of ministry in that country. I'd also like to give a bit of praise and a prayer request from my church. During a recent vacation Bible school, we had 62 kids come to accept Christ as their Savior. Pray that those young lives would truly learn early on what it is to follow Christ as a Christian and that they would be lights to their peers. And just please praise God with me, as we have so many things that the world tries to do to our children, but yet there's still hope, for they can still come to Christ. And with that hopeful news in mind, let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we we pause to praise you once again, as we see how you are still calling many unto yourself. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on our behalf, to cover the debt our sins have created. Lord, it's by grace alone that we're saved, and we praise you for that gift. Help us to share your grace and your mercy to all that we interact with, and help us to learn through our study tonight that we can trust you, and that all we need to do is believe in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we catch up to where we were last week, we saw that sometimes the call to follow Christ puts us at risk. But as we pick up this week, we see that Jesus has indeed seen the risk as a worthwhile endeavor. And as we open verse 17, excuse me, we're told that Jesus came to Bethany. Now as he approaches the city, John tells us that he found that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now remember with me that we learned that after Jesus was told of Lazarus' death, he waited two days and then he went to him. Now the trip from where he was in Perea, to Bethany would have been pretty much a two-day hike. So if Lazarus is, has only been dead four days, as John notes, he must have died pretty much the moment that Jesus received word concerning his illness. But regardless of that fact, we're informed that Lazarus has been dead a whole four days. Now why is this important? Well, it's very important because it shows that Lazarus was not just passed out. You see, the custom of the Jews in that day was to place a corpse in the tomb the day he died. If that was the case here, which there's no indication that it wasn't, 
It means that Lazarus has been sealed in a tomb for four whole days. If he had only passed out or fallen into a coma or done something like that, he surely would have been awakened in four days' times. But he hasn't. In fact, just as a bit of information, by this time the body's natural processes would have let his corpse begin the natural decay process, meaning that Lazarus' flesh would have literally stunk. And we'll see this noted later on in our passage as we continue through John 11, but just know, it would have been clearly evident he was dead by this stage in the game. And that is the key point here, is that Lazarus is really dead. He's not just passed out. Well, in verse 18, John gives us a bit of geography lesson as he lets us know that Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. In fact, the town is to the southeast of the holy city and would have been close enough for the people of Jerusalem to be fully familiar with the people of Bethany. This is a huge point, for in the earlier parts of chapter 10, Jesus was just in Jerusalem and was nearly stoned. But with the proximity of Jerusalem to Bethany, the Jewish leaders would have easily heard that Jesus was making his way there. Further, we're told in verse 19 that many of the Jewish leaders were present to comfort and console Martha and Mary. Now this shows us two things as we think about this passage. First, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus must have had some sort of standing or popularity among the Jewish leaders because they weren't in the habit of making house calls. And remember, we've noted on many occasions that when John mentions the Jews, he's talking about Jewish leaders. So... They must have had some kind of stature in the community for the Jewish leaders to feel it necessary to come out to their funeral times. Secondly, it shows us that Thomas's feelings from last week's passage were also true. There's true danger in this visit, as those who are seeking to harm Jesus are in attendance at this funeral. So the scene is set for Martha in verse 20, and John writes that Martha, after hearing that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed back at the house. Now, one of the observations we made of the text raises a pretty simple question. Why would Mary stay? After all, she's the sister who was addressed in the beginning of John 11 by her act of great faith, in that she was the one who anointed Jesus' feet. So why would she stay? Was she upset? Was she in too much grief? Well, I don't believe it's either of those in this case. I, I think when we look at Martha and Mary's relationship in other sections of the Scripture, we notice that Martha is usually the more aggressive, while Mary is usually the more peaceful, laid-back sister. A great example can be found in Luke 10, as Martha works feverishly to prepare the meal for Jesus, but Mary sits at his feet to hear the master teacher at work. So I think this is just a part of Martha's personality. She has to be out there to see what's going on. And regardless of how you feel about that, the most important part of this section is about to be seen as Jesus and Martha begin to converse. See, in verse 21, Martha comes to Jesus and says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now what truly amazes me in this statement is the strength of Martha's conviction regarding Jesus. She does not tear him apart for not healing her brother. She doesn't rip him for his apparent tardiness. No, she recognizes that he is the one who has the power, and he is the one who is in charge. Martha first acknowledges that Jesus has the power to heal people. In fact, she even goes further to say that anything he asks the Father, the Father gives him. Is it not interesting that even in a time of great sorrow, Martha's first step is to point out the reality of the situation? That even though she wishes Lazarus would have lived, she knows 
that this is no reflection on Jesus or his ability. No, he could have healed Lazarus. In fact, she believes he would have healed Lazarus if he were there. I also want you to note the point of view from which Martha makes her judgment. She tells Jesus that if he had only been there, he could have healed Lazarus. Now, this is a very man-centered view, as most of us have. And she doesn't really take into account the fact that Jesus could have healed Lazarus from any place and at any time. In fact, we see many occasions in the Gospels of Jesus healing people without physically being present. But the most important part of this statement is the fact that she still maintains her hope and trust in our Lord. This pain, as painful as it may be, is not going to cause her to fall away from Jesus. Apparently she knows our Lord and Savior enough to realize who he is. But even with her apparent trust, Jesus immediately tests her convictions. As he plainly tells her in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Now I think it's so intriguing to note that Jesus immediately tests this trust that she has just professed. After she has just mentioned that anything that Jesus asked the Father he gave him, he gives her a shot to prove that belief by telling her that Lazarus will rise again. Now what's interesting is that Martha doesn't seem to understand what he's fully saying. You see, her answer is the same answer I believe you'd expect from a funeral today when this story is told. Oh yeah, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, she seems to believe that Jesus is attempting to give her a theological explanation to comfort her. I find it interesting as well that Martha has a grasp of a re resurrection of the righteous in the end times, a belief that some critics today attribute to Christians and say that the early church is the ones that made this up and that's not true. However, she mentions it without Christ urging or without his teaching. I mean, that's just a side thought, but it's interesting to note she holds that belief. However, Jesus' response is one of the most popular sections in the Bible and gives us our major doctrine of this passage. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Basically, he tells Martha, No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the end times. I'm talking about right now. Your brother will live. I'm talking about now because I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, see, there's a rhetorical term that would do us well to note at this stage, and it's the term metonymy. Now, a metonymy is a rhetorical device where one term is substituted for another on the basis of closeness to one another. A great example of this is found in the workplace when a new rule or procedure is handed down from the executives of the company. Often, we don't say, oh, we got news from the executives. We say, oh, we heard word from the front office. Well, see, the front office didn't literally tell us anything, but rather it's the people who are in the front office that did. We just use the front office as an example, as a almost a metaphor to stand in for all those people. Well, in the same way, when Jesus says he is a resurrection and the life, he's not saying that he's literally the event of the resurrection. Instead, he's saying that I am the one who has the power to raise people from the dead. I have the power over life and death. I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who has the power to raise the dead. Now, this should not surprise us as we go through John's Gospel, because this is not the first time we've even heard this. Remember back in John 5:21, Jesus said that the Son, acting in line with the Father, gives life to whomever he pleases. 
You see, this is a direct claim to divinity, as Jesus basically tells Martha, No, I am the one who raises the dead and gives life. I am that one. And he goes on to cement this truth as he explains that whoever believes in him will live even if he dies. What's he saying here? He's saying that the one who believes in him will live eternally even if he dies in this lifetime. Further, he goes on to say that everyone who lives and believes in him will never die. Paul echoes this directly in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, when he writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Now whether Martha understood this as an eschatological statement or not, I couldn't tell you. But I do know that the truth remains for us today that if we believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life with Him. Whether He comes in our lifetime or whether we pass on now, we know that our destiny is fixed. We will live with Him. And after giving this assurance to Martha, he doesn't simply leave it there, but he asks her, Do you believe this? Now this is the central question for Martha to answer. She has just told Jesus that she knows anything he wants and asks for is his. He receives it. But does she believe him when that includes the very power of her life and death? Well, her answer tells us a great deal about her belief. She responds, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Her statement is telling, as she uses a perfect tense of the verb believe. In other words, she's telling Jesus, I started believing in you in the past, and I'm still believing you now. It's an ongoing process. Now, what is it that she believes? That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God. She even links him to prophecy by noting that he is the one that was to come into the world from above. But as we close with this statement of belief, I want to ask you what we can take from this. See, I believe there are at least two truths that we can take from this passage that have a huge impact on us. First, Jesus is the one who is over life and death. He is the one who can raise the dead, and he's the one who gives life. This is key to remember because we often think we can control our own destinies and that we can somehow save our life or keep our life. But the reality is... We only live as long as Christ pleases for us to live. He gives life, and, and He can take it as He wills. And the second truth is a truth that I believe Martha realized. I believe this is the core of what we're talking about today. When you say, what do you think about Jesus, Martha? This is what it, it is. If we would believe in Him, we can have eternal life. He is the Christ. See, the one who puts his trust in Christ and believes on him does not have to worry, for he will have life eternal. Though he may die in the flesh, he will live forever with Christ. What an amazing truth, and it's a truth that I hope you will remember this week. Make it a point to tell others that your wonderful Savior, Christ Jesus, died so that you may have life eternal. Well, that's all for today, friends. So, until we meet again... May God bless and keep you. It was not us who sought you first. Our name.
Love.